That's where you're from, Philly? I I grew up in New York State in Poughkeepsie, New York, but I've been here since college. So I've been in Philly for some close to 30 years now. So did you go to Temple? Uh, Penn. Penn. Oh, good. Great school. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I got the pedigree. Yeah. <laughs> Don't use my degree at all, but I've got it. <laughs> Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theatre masters, founders and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Hi! This is Margot Escott, and I'm so pleased to introduce Avish Parshur. He was referred to me by our great friend, uh, Pete Margaritas, and I think I pronounced that right. And thank you for coming on the show today, Avish. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I was looking at your bio and your website, and it's all delicious. And right now, let's kind of talk about how you went to... um, you went into improv. I know that you were from upstate New York near Poughkeepsie, but you went to school in Pennsylvania, Penn State, right? UPenn. Very different school. But UPenn, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, UPenn. Oh, okay. All right. We won't delete that, though. So tell me a little bit about uh, before you moved to college, what your life was like and if you were interested in acting or anything like that at all. Uh, yeah. So in high school, I was uh, very into acting as Many things that I did successfully, quote unquote, in my early life, it was just because it was fun. I remember freshman year, uh, freshman year of high school, there was going to be auditions for the play. And earlier that afternoon, I was hanging out with a friend and he said he was thinking about auditioning. I said, I was too. It looks like fun. So we went, we auditioned, we both got in, we got these like little bit parts. uh, And, uh, you know, that led me to being in all eight of the high school productions. I just enjoyed it. It was fun. in. My senior year, I got the largest non-singing role in the musical because I can't really sing well. And what was that musical? That was The King and I. So I was the, I was the king's advisor. Beautiful. Uh, Beautiful. So he doesn't sing and anything. I'm going to debate you on not being a good singer because everybody can sing and it's called musical improv and it's fantastic. Oh, believe me, and I listened to one of your, I listened to your episode where you interviewed Colin uh, Macrae and... Uh, you, you talk about that. And that's something I've been saying for years. I love musical improv and I perform. Uh, my best friend was an improviser. Um, he was in my group for a while and he played, he's a composer. So we did a lot of musical improv. And what I learned early on is that as long as you sing with gusto, it doesn't really matter how well you do. Exactly. A hundred percent commitment. And I have a feeling you're a hundred percent commitment kind of person. So what was your degree in that you never really used? Oh, uh, yeah. So I went to, to to Penn and I was getting a degree in engineering. So uh, I ended up, I started mechanical, transferred, got a degree in computer engineering. Uh, of course, the Indian guy got an IT degree, go figure. Uh, so <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I loved theater in high school, but I saw how much time it took. And going to a, a good school with an engineering degree, I didn't want that kind of time commitment. So I didn't do any theater when I, I was committed to not doing any theater in college. But improv was less time commitment and more fun. And so I just started doing that. And that I got into 
um, absolutely kicking and screaming. I was hanging out with friends. You know, I made my freshman friends. And one of them said to me, oh, you're funny. You should try out for the improv group. And my immediate response, you know, talking about yes and, yes, but. My immediate response was, yeah, but. I've only done scripted theater. Like, it's not. I'm, I just do, like, movie quotes. And he nagged me for months uh, <laughs> until I finally went. and act- I had been saying, no, I'm not good at it without ever having seen the performance. Yeah. <laughs> and when I finally saw a show, I was like, oh, man, that looks like a lot of fun. Let me go audition for that. And I did, and I got in, and, you know, that's kind of how life changed for me from that moment. That's beautiful. And so you're um, also what they call a motivational speaker. And I, I, I can see your positive energy is coming through the waves here. But how did you go into that? Tell me about your early career and then what brought you to where you are now. Uh, sure. So by the time we got towards the end of college, you know, even for the first few years of doing improv, it was just a fun thing. I wasn't thinking longer term at all. But then other actors on campus started telling me, oh, are you going to pursue comedy or acting afterwards? You're good at what you do. And so that put the bug in my ear. So after college, I decided to start my own improv group in Philadelphia with some of the people who are still in college and people I knew with the dream of turning it into like the second city of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly that didn't happen. But uh, <laughs> since I was both the artistic director and the business manager, I started reading lots of things about marketing and leadership and goal setting. And I, st- and I got really into that world and I liked it a lot. And then I started to see crossovers. I started to see how, uh, actually it started in reverse. Um, I would read a business book like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that would set off bells in my head for how I could go and teach better improv. And then over time it became, oh, well, if I can go this way, and actually if someone saw what I was doing and they said, oh, this just looks like a corporate team building workshop. And I was like, oh, what is that? And so I, uh, that's how I started that road. And I really liked that. And throughout the years, I always liked performing and I liked teaching. And for me, speaking was a way of combining those two things because you're teaching, but you're also performing. So when it was time to finally give up on the second city of Philadelphia dream, I, I, <laughs> I thought I'd want to be a speaker maybe someday. And so I don't know what else to do with my life right now. So, uh, you know, I launched my business and that was in 2003. Had no idea what I was doing, but kind of muddled my way through. And, you know, here I am 18 years later now. Isn't that wonderful? I'm so, I'm so excited about the work that you do. Now, were you part of NSA at all? Um, I, I, I was and I still am. I'm very you active. You still are? Mm-hmm. Is that how you met Pete? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he, I think we were aware of each other, so... In 2018, I got my CSP, which is Certified Speaking Professional. And then in 2019, he got his. And then afterwards, he he came up to me. I was like, hey, I want to introduce myself. I've seen some of what you do. And we started talking. And so you know, we stayed in touch. And then he had me on his podcast a little while ago. And Yeah, he's wonderful. I just love him. The great podcasts. Um, yeah, he's great. I've listened to a few of his episodes since then. And yeah, I have to be careful when I'm interviewing people because sometimes I self-reference, you know, and then it's about me and not you, but I'm going to share this anyway. Absolutely. Before, well, I was a platform speaker before I discovered improv. I taught the healing power of humor and play to professional groups and other kinds of groups. And um, so I took Dale Carnegie three times. The last time I was one of the, you know, assistant trainers or something. And mm-hmm. Dale Carnegie was just fantastic for me. I loved it so much. And I went to NSA meetings. I didn't really pursue that. 
Um, but that's always what, but I'm a clinical social worker. So my day life was a psychotherapist, but when I got gigs, I was a gig worker. Mm-hmm. And when I discovered improv, I got excited about improv as a clinical tool. So I use it with people with anxiety or people with Parkinson's mm-hmm. or whatever, but uh, you're inspiring me to look at where else I can go because for several years I was doing the power of play, but I was also doing a lot of seminars on the seven habits of highly effective people mm-hmm. and uh, knew that book inside and out. So I'm, I'm enjoying the similarities in our story. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That was probably the first one that got me started down this path was just seeing, cause it's all communication and which really essentially that's improv really is. It's just, you're communicating with other people, you're communicating with the audience. So, you know, whether it's business or stage, it's all kind of the same thing. So let's go back a little bit though, to your family. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about your family, what position you were in your family. And I'm a therapist, so I need to do a psychosocial. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. So my, uh, you know, we have, I have one sister, older sister. So I was the young one. Uh, parents were born in India and they came to the U S uh, and dad's a doctor and mom stayed home with us. And they're, you know, they're fairly traditional. And I was surprised at their openness and willingness when I came to them like junior year in college and said, Hey, what if I pursue a career in like comedy as opposed to engineering? And they were actually okay with it, which was, you know, surprising to me. And, you know, my dad's main thing was whatever you do, just, you know, really go for it and do it well, you know, as long as you're being happy. So he didn't really push me into pursuing the engineering thing. There was a while. I mean, it took me a long time to really figure out the business. So I struggled for a while. And there was a number of conversations along that way where they're like, are you sure you're doing the right thing? How much long are you going to do this? But they never really, you know, threatened me or criticized me or told me to to stop or give up. So they were really... I was very fortunate that they were very supportive. You certainly were. And there weren't that many Indian actors and comedians when you were younger, but they've, there's. There's more. Yeah. Now there's definitely, more now. There's a lot now. And the sitcoms about growing up or the movies about growing up in an Indian family and mm-hmm. wanting to marry outside. Um, yeah. There was very little when I was starting out in like the, mid nineties with this. And most of the roles were very like the stereotypical heavy accented right. comedic relief type person. And yeah, now just Indian and, and pretty, and, ra- and pretty racist. I'm sorry. Pretty racist stereotypes too, for the most part. Oh yeah. Definitely the racist stereotypes, which in nineties, no one really thought that, but now, you know, looking back, it's like, Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not so great now. And did you have any heroes at all when the people started coming out at all or not? No, it's, it's, I never really, I mean, I identify as Indian and, right. you know, I, I probably, but yeah, it was never, I never felt like another, you know, like some people, when you're a minority, you feel like you're separate from the main pack. Like for whatever reason, I kind of, I felt connected in with whoever I was with. So it didn't strike me as hugely inspirational. Oh, that Indian person broke through. Maybe I can too. It was more like, oh, okay, great. Like, Hey, there's more Indian people there. Um, but I can't great. say I really followed anyone was like a hero of mine for, for that. Are you aware that there's a huge improvisation communities going on in India today? Bangalore comedy is one. Um, there's several groups that are performing a lot of improv in India. I didn't know that. I, I feel like on my Facebook feed, I know there's some people who like have like on your, um on your pod, I haven't listened to that many episodes, but on your podcast, I keep seeing Indian names pop up in the feed. And there's a guy uh, on my Facebook friends who he does a daily improv and half of them are like with someone from India. So it's, 
I'm starting to learn that there is a big improv community there. Certainly is. So, um, so a typical childhood for the most part, but kind of culturally uh, traditional family, but accepting. I mean, that's incredible. That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, even all the stuff in high school, like when I would do theater and I mean, I did a lot of activities and they're always like, sure. Yeah. You know, as long as you keep your grades up, which I was lucky that, um, <laughs> I, you know, the risk of sounding arrogant, like I was smart enough that high school is pretty easy. I could do all these activities and just still get good grades. Um, so they really didn't care as long as I was doing well in school. So um, I'd like to know, how did you break into this field? Uh, it's a niche field. Is that the right pronunciation? And it's not a niche. niche I say field. niche. Some people niche. say niche. <laughs> niche. Okay. It's a niche field. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so what did you do to break into it? Into the, the speaking field? What I'm mm-hmm. Speaking and improv. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, as I, when I was running that group in Philadelphia, the name was Polywampus and we're doing shows and stuff, but towards the end of that run is when I started doing some of these team building workshops. And it was really, I was doing a workshop for high school kids and it was the guy who hired me for like $75 or whatever at the time to do this hour long workshop. He's the one who said, this looks like a team building workshop. And he also had like an event company. So he booked me for one or two. And that's what really got me thinking. And you know, then when I moved on, as I said, I started totally cold. So really it was, I use a little bit of my network, uh, you know, see anyone, know anyone who might want to book me for this. Uh, I did some cold marketing and really what started the ball rolling, which is true for a lot of speakers is I started speaking for free at groups like Rotary and uh, exactly. what was yep. ASTD, now ATD, the American Society of Training Development and uh, Society of Human Resource Management. And so that's what really started getting the ball rolling, just speaking for free and then connecting and you know, letting that lead to one thing leading to another. Now, how did you support yourself when you were speaking for free? Uh, well, I'll be honest, I did have some supportive parents. So there was times where, <laughs> uh, so there was times I, I mean, I had a computer degree. So for a little while there, I did do some computer work. I brought in some money that way. But, um, you know, there was definitely more than one occasion where, you know, I'd have to pick up the phone and feel very much like a failure but you know they were very supportive and uh you know that was hard and it was one of those things where I also look back and realize how privileged and blessed I was to have that opportunity. oh certainly um, oh my gosh yeah. certainly are you married I am yes I'm married I've have two kids one who's six and one who's about two and a half now I bet they're funny <laughs> uh they are they are they're they're a hoot and we have a good time together oh that's um, great it's funny though I uh you know, throughout the years, I've done work with kids. And I've also taught, I, I, I have a martial arts background as well. Oh, you do? Uh, that's one. Oh, mm-hmm. what belt are you? Or what? So are. I did, I have third degree black belt in Ruku Kempo, which is an Okinawan style. And now, nah, honestly, I haven't, once life got busy with kids and stuff, I haven't trained in like 10 years, but um, so I trained for a long time. But I love teaching that. That's when I learned that I love to teach because I taught martial arts and I taught improv. And both of those things I've taught kids. And it's when I realized I don't really like teaching kids. I don't like working with kids. Uh, You know, workshops, improv, karate. Like, there are things I love about teaching. And a lot of it is about, like, theory and philosophy and having the audience or students have aha moments and make their own connections. And I found the younger the age group was, the less that worked or was even a priority. And when you get to the real little littles, it's like, how can I keep them? How can I keep them busy for forty-five minutes? Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, so yeah, so married, have, uh, have two kids and, uh, you know, that's its own improvisation right there. Yeah, it certainly is. So, um, now you, before COVID, were you, tra- you were traveling a lot, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Before COVID, I was, uh, you know, traveling a bit doing, I think 2019, I spoke somewhere in the 40 to 50 times range over the course of the year. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a good, busy year. I mean, 2019 was my best year ever. 2020 was shaping up well. And then Ugh. 2020 happened. So, <laughs> wow. so we did a lot of pivoting here. In fact, my uh, wife, who had been a stay-at-home mom for five years, before that, she was a teacher. So her, her, old, her old school, by chance, was looking for a teacher. And so she um, applied. They hired her. And so things shifted for me. So this past year, she's been going to work. And I've been kind of the primary parent for both kids the two-year-old is at home working my business around there so the number of virtual presentations I've done while uh I try to schedule them during nap time (laughs) or (laughs) there have been different times I put the kid in the crib put the iPad like on the chair and be like here watch two episodes of TV while I go deliver a presentation (laughs) (laughs) so there's been a lot of adaptability here in the Parashar household so did you start have you been doing pretty frequent um zoom uh gigs uh i've been do- i will say i've been doing zoom gigs uh pretty frequent depends on the time but it's you know because what i do and is i even position it probably 50 percent as entertainment uh you know that the need for that went away a lot with the events and the zoom trainings um the people who i know in the speaking industry who are doing well were the ones who were very heavy content focused anyways so for them it's like oh now we're just doing it via zoom for the entertainment people it's been a much harder transition because that's gone by the wayside i've done the improv programs via zoom but uh you know it's what not what people are looking for and then a lot of the types of events i was speaking at a lot of association conferences Mm -hmm. annual state national conferences and in 2020 like they all postponed canceled some went virtual so i did a few virtual keynotes for that but most of the types of events I typically speak at got postponed or canceled. So it was an interesting, interesting year. Now, now you have a podcast, don't you? I am actually in the process of launching two. It depends. I'm not sure exactly when this episode that we're doing is going to launch. Um, so I'm doing one that is very tied to my business. It's going to be called the Motivational Improv Show. Because what I call my, I, I call what I do Motivational Improv. and it's going to be a little bit different than your typical podcast show. It's going to be a short form show, probably about 10 minutes each episode. And my goal is to do three a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I see it as a, some of the people to listen to in the morning on their commute as they're getting their day started. And it's going to be me, quick intro, playing an improv game, and then giving a takeaway. So it's just like a quick, get a laugh, get some energy. Here's a point you can think about and just do that like multiple times a week. And will you do it solo or you have a partner? In the beginning, the games will be solo um, and the podcast itself will be solo. Right. I may, through various outlets, I will take recordings of games I'm playing other places and maybe drop those in as the games for the episodes. But the podcast itself will be solo. So this is really exciting. So what kind of games do you do? Can you do short form games solo? Just a couple of names of some of the games would be fun. Oh, gosh. So um, what I found is I can do any scene-based game. 
um, as long as I play both parts. So, um, you know, Ding, which is kind of my signature game based on my website, Ding Happens. It's, it's some people call it a new choice. It's where you, where you're talking and someone rings a bell and then you have to right, change right. what you just said. Yeah. So, uh, Ding, uh, Alphabet Scene I've done, uh, any genre game, uh, Countdown, which is, um, you know, we do a scene in 60 seconds and 30 seconds. And right, 15. right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, and, and part of the challenge and the fun for me over the past year is figuring out how to adapt these games to virtual to audio and to solo. And the only ones I haven't really figured out how to do are the guessing games. Um, with one person, it's currently in my mind, impossible to do a guessing game because it's only one person. Like I, <laughs> I'm not going to hide the truth from you, but I'm working on that one. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the scene games I've adapted to storytelling, which is easier to do with one person. So A to Z or ding or some of those, uh, you just do it as a story. One person telling a story instead of a scene. Now, will you be reaching out for suggestions or using suggestions before you do these? Or uh, I was a little bit, but usually I just I'll either just come up with whatever I want to do or uh, the Internet's a wonderful thing. If you type in anything random generator, you'll come up with websites. You just click a button, you get locations, you get jobs, you get hobbies and activities. So um, sometimes I'll just use that as my starting point. That's great. Oh, I can't wait till that comes out. Have you made any new videos from home that you're using at all? Uh, I was doing videos for a little while. Um, and I was posting on YouTube, but you know, it's, it's funny how improv, the whole thing about improv is you do things, you try and you see what works and what doesn't. And I realized the videos weren't really doing it for me. The, the effort and the benefit, like the effort was outweighing the benefit. So I have a YouTube channel. I've got videos of me doing some of this, what I call solo prov, you know, the improv. Okay. And we have that link that we'll be showing folks. The right, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but then I got more excited. So that was the first podcast and that should be out soon. Um, but you know, never one to do things in reasonable small bites. Uh, I have a second podcast I'm working on which gets me back to my entertainment roots. It's, it's purely entertainment based. Um, that one I'm doing with uh, my friend and partner, Mike, who I told you about who he's the one who did the music. Um, he did improv with me. He was the music player. Um, and we're still working it out, but it's going to be a, a long form show in a podcast format, but building a long form story using short form games. So, <laughs> You know, most of the stuff I hear about long form is you're just improvising a whole long play, right? It's all essentially scene work. We're doing a format where we're basically creating a movie. So we start with like a genre. We, we rough out the outline, but then for each section of the story, we play a different improv game. But then the content we generate in that leads to the next improv game. So it's this mm -hmm. hybrid short form improv. It's been a lot of fun. We've done about five run throughs. Um, they've gone fun. They've gone great. They've been funny. Um, that's, I'm not sure if that's going to be live by the time this podcast drops, but it's, it's been super exciting and fun. So I'm kind of, that's why I've shifted off the videos and stuff. Cause I'm focused on these other things that I'm really into. Oh, that is so exciting. Now, what are some of the short term games you you're using in this, in this project? So we've done about four run throughs so far. We've got our fifth one this week. We've been trying for the, while we're working it out, we're trying to do different games each time. So we've done ding. We've done Seeds Without the Letter. We've done some of the storytelling games like Last Letter, First Letter, where um, yep, you know, yep. the last thing, yeah. Um, we've done A to Z. 
Uh, we did Cutting Room. We've done uh, He Said, She Said. Just anything. We got a whole list of games. We're like, let's try this and see what happens. Oh, that's I can't wait till that comes out. That's going to give me things to steal. That's yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will. That's you know that that's the beauty of improv. So, um, yeah, I, I just like research. I had the games I've always played, and then I was going to websites and any game that sounded interesting, I added to a document. And so before we do the show, we'll be like, well, what do you want to do today? And we'll look through it and be like, well, this would look good here. And um, you know, there was that's the thing. I, there was always an excitement for me about trying something new or different in improv. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I found that, and this might be overgeneralizing, but I found that improvisers a lot of times could fall into two categories. They're the ones who really like the familiar, like playing games they've done a lot, maybe getting suggestions from the audience that are within the norm or something they've kind of heard before. And I'm the opposite. Like if you, if, I, and I say this to my audiences as a keynote, because I'm getting audience suggestions. If they say something I've never heard before, or that makes me laugh, as a starting point, like I'll take it. And like, that's what excites me is, is that stepping into that uncertainty of like, well, where's this going to go? I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Let's go find out. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. And taking a step out and taking a risk with yourself and knowing that whatever happens, it's all good. Yeah. Like oh. make it work. And and I find the hardest, the, the worst I do at improv is when I'm doing a suggestion I've done before. Um, because in half my mind is remembering what I did before. And then the other half of my mind is trying to do something new and it's really confusing and it's never as innovative versus just stepping into some completely new direction. So uh, I said Garofala, Garofala to you. Mm-hmm. What, might you get, what might you get from that word? Uh, well, I think of a mythical creature that's half giraffe, half um, hippo. And then I do a story about, you know, the creation and the myth of that story. That's cool. That's really <laughs> fun. Um, to th- you know, you're, you're such a positive person and um, to be a motivational inspiration to other people is, is kind of a big job because especially mm-hmm. now, and I, I think afterwards we're going to see when we go live again, people have been, be- their moods have become either highly anxious or highly depressed. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, you know, distrust, I think because we've been polarized as a country. So um, how would you address those kinds of issues in a, in a talk or workshop? So the first thing is to acknowledge it. Uh, You know, you don't want to, you don't want to yes, but the, the issues your audience is dealing with be like, Oh, you know, just, you know, you're making something out of nothing. There's no real issues here. And then some people talk like that, right? They're like, Oh, there's no real issues, but it's like, no, there are issues. And even if there aren't in your mind, like everyone's coming from a different place. And I think that's the beauty of improv is everyone brings their own individuality. So we want to you know, respect that and bring it out. So really, it, the everything I do is about mindset and kind of where you're directing your thoughts. And it starts with the inner dialogue. And, you know, when there's big change, big challenges, we acknowledge it, but then we ask a different question, which is, okay, how can I use this to my advantage? Or how can I, what can I do to come out of this better than when it started? And that's beneficial for two reasons. Number one is that obvious, it helps you get to a better place. But two is there's an engagement and a positivity that comes out of innovation. Uh, and what I mean by that is that when you are putting your mind towards trying to solve a worthwhile but difficult problem you're you get more engaged and creative so like for me that's why i've gotten 
you say I'm positive and motivational. I appreciate that. But I've spent years now feeling like I'm not super engaged. And like, I like what I do. And when I'm on stage, I love it. But so much of my time is spent getting the gig. And frankly, that's not fun for me. Um, it's like you spend 95% of your time doing stuff. So 5% of the time you can do what you love. And I've been struggling with this. And, uh, you know, is it my marketing? Is it something different? And this show I told you about, both these podcasts, for the past three months since I started working on them have been like, I've been getting up earlier. I have been working at times where maybe ordinarily I plop down on the TV. And part of it is that there's the fun of doing it. But part of it is they're both a challenge. And when we address, when we apply our creativity to solving a challenge, it improves engagement. So when we're going through these tough times, if we're just like, well, how do I get through it? I can't wait till it's over. You're going to stay in that place. Right. When we say, how can I use this to my advantage? You're not going to get an immediate answer, which is good because then you can apply your creativity and mind. And that's how you innovate, right? If you hadn't, if you came up with an obvious answer, it wouldn't be innovative. So that's, that's kind of my approach in my keynotes is getting people to just step back and take a slightly different perspective and, and just play, right? That's improv. Like you don't need to focus and come up with a good answer. Like just play, like how, what could happen here? And you know, what's a ridiculous thing that I could do right now? And just let the mind flow. And that's when some interesting stuff happens. I really enjoyed the description of yes and that you gave in one of your workshops. Mm -hmm. You talk about yes and and how we can't yes and everybody. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, Sure. So, you know, yes and is is the very common improv comedy principle about working together. And um, it's about avoiding blocking and being positive. And so when someone makes you an offer on stage, like, oh, hey, here we are at the amusement park, you want to accept that you don't want to say what we're not at the amusement park we're you know at the swimming pool so it's foundational to improv and it opens up creativity the problem i found with yes and is that it's often not practical in the real world especially when i was teaching people how to use this in business in the real world you can't just say yes and to everything because sometimes you disagree sometimes the other person is wrong um and honestly, I've done programs for lawyers. And there's like legal ramifications. They're like, we can't say yes and because that's like admitting something. I'm like, okay, so you don't have to say it literally. And that's why I realized that really yes and is a is a mindset and an approach. So you know, as, as I say in my keynote, it's like if someone comes to you and says, oh, uh, hey, I haven't worked on this project at work for three weeks. Can you do it for me? You don't just say yes and let me pick up your dry cleaning, right? It's not a, you know, and to continue with that is, you know, as I've learned now being married for 10 years is if my wife ever comes to me and says, does this outfit make me look fat? Like, <laughs> yes. And a little bit old, right? No. Okay. You don't, <laughs> right? you don't always agree and you don't always build off of it in improv and even in improv. Right. Um, I remember we were, do- <laughs> we were doing a, uh, we got a suggestion from the, and this is going to sound horrible. Right. And again, you talk about PC and whatnot, uh, but this is the nineties. And we asked a suggestion for a title from the audience and someone yelled out, Ernest goes to Auschwitz, which was like, all right, now I probably wouldn't take that suggestion back then. All right, fine. You know, it was like 20 something. All right. And we did the story and it started to veer into a direction that was getting really dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the players like said this thing. We're like, oh my God, I can't believe we're going there. And so it was a conducted story when they went back to me, like I, in a, by a pure improv definition, I may have blocked. I just completely changed the story. Now, I still kind of built off of it, but out of nowhere, I'm like, you know, and Ernest ripped off his shirt and became super earnest and started like destroying the Nazis. And it wasn't really taking where he wanted to go. And I have no qualms and no regrets about blocking, quote unquote. 
Right. So really, yes, and is more of a mindset you bring to the improvisation. And are you coming from a place of accepting and inclusion? And are you coming from a place of making the other person look good? Um, And then when it comes to communication offstage, for me, yes, and is much more about curiosity and engagement. So if you say to me, hey, I want to go to Italian food for dinner tonight, I don't say, yeah, but, you know, you're fat, you're supposed to be watching your carbs. And I don't say, yes, and let's, let's go to the most expensive place in town. I could say, yeah, and tell me more about that. Yes, and why do you want to go to that place? Yes, and what are you going to order there? So I'm learning, and I'm open, and I'm connecting without agreeing to something I don't want to agree to and without creating conflict. So the idea with yes, and it goes back to the Stephen Covey stuff we were talking about with um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of his habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And to me, just that simple shift of starting from a place of yes and instead of yes but immediately does that. Yes and is yes and let me understand you. Yes but is yes but I want you to understand me. Right. So that's kind of my take on the yes and thing. It's brilliant. I just love it. I really do. Oh, thank you. So, so have you ever, do you have any improv? people that you like or you follow or are you more into what you're doing in business i i don't necessarily follow uh i i like all the who's line guys colin mockery i like ryan styles i like a lot um and those are my two main guys but i'm trying to think of who else i i tend to take my inspiration from other sources mm-hmm. you know the whole like casting a wide net. So for example, my favorite, and I, I write about these guys and I talk about them in my keynotes, even my favorite rock band of all time is the uh, Canadian rock group Rush. Right. And, um, <laughs> my favorite band of all time. And they're awesome. So I'm taking a lot of my inspiration from them and their approach to music and expertise and mastery. And then how can I apply that to what I'm doing with improv, what I'm doing with speaking? So it's, and it's been really it's been interesting and fun and uh, you know, it, it just opened my mind in creative ways that I wouldn't, if I just followed, you know, the improv world. Aha. Aha. <laughs> Music. I love that. I really love that a lot, actually. Yeah. My favorite band is the Beatles. So oh, yeah, there you go. and you're wearing a Beatles yeah. shirt right now. Yes, I actually am. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> so the first time you gave a speech to a really big audience like I used to have audiences of like 25 maybe mm-hmm. up to 50 but I remember the time I had my first what I considered big audience mm-hmm. and I wondered if you had a story about that at all uh well yes and no so my first big audience I do remember walking in it was like 600 people and it was uh, there were seven rounds so even though I knew there was going to be around 600, I was still like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people in here. Uh, and that one went, you know, it went fine. It was good. The the other story, though, kind of thing more along the lines is I did a, one of my early programs was for a group called BOMA, which is Building Owners and Managers Association of New Jersey. And I went in there and I was sitting at the table with some of the, you know, the experienced people and whatnot. And like they start talking about it. And it's like this one guy's talking about how, you know, he owns like all these horses and buildings and this guy owns all this property. And these guys are worth like millions. And then they're told me like, Oh yeah. You know, last month we had Jerry Cooney speak and he's, you know, a 
Uh, <laughs> I know former, who he is. Yeah, I world know. champion boxer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, like, who the heck am I to be here? Like, talking to these people, playing my little improv games. And I I did psych myself out. I don't, I won't say I bombed. I didn't bomb, but I, it didn't go great. Like, I didn't get any business or leads out of it. It just, mm-hmm. I got so wrapped up in my head about my insecurity and not being on these people's league. Uh, which then again, that's the nice thing as a speaker is, you know, there's no failure. There's only material. So this became a story I would tell and how really from that moment, I really do everything I can to ironically uh, sounds horrible. But when I'm about to speak, I try to not care about the audience at all. No, that doesn't sound horrible. I understand it. Yeah. Whatever you guys get it or you don't like, I don't care. Now beforehand, I, I care about the audience. I think about their needs and what I can do, but, and you know, I'm not, perfect or you know infallible by any sense so i spent a lot of time on stage you know staring at that one person who's got their arms crossed and doesn't look happy and i try to you know but i'm always telling myself like whatever man just just go do it yeah that's a killer i had somebody i was doing a professional workshop and they were starting to fill out their evaluations and this one woman had been like this the whole time you know like Mm -hmm. expression on her face and usually you know people like the humor i inject into stuff so they're doing their evaluations, and I see her. She's sitting right in there, and her pencil is tearing the paper because she's got <laughs> so much energy and anger. So uh, after the end, I go out to the fellow that was facilitating it, and I said, I want to see the reviews. And he starts to put one underneath, and I said, that's the one I want to see. <laughs> what a jerk I was. Why look at that? Because everything else was terrific. Yeah, you, know? you, got, you got a stack of 100 evaluations, and you uh, your mind immediately goes to the the one negative one, right? You get like 99 fives and one, one, and you're going to look at the one. Yeah. Stupid. And it's amazing how many times that person who looks unhappy comes up to you afterwards and is like, Oh, thanks so much. That was great. <laughs> like you couldn't crack a smile, but you're like, it's, it's just, and that's when you got to realize like, you can't read the audience, you know, trying to put too much em- uh, emphasis or focus on that. It just, it's a no win proposition. That's, that is for sure. So do you have any advice that you would give somebody that's interested or has seen your work and might want to explore this field themselves? Are, are you teaching at all? Or what would you say to somebody who's, you know, they like improv and they're interested in inspiring other people? Because that's what it's really about. I think it's about inspiration. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in getting into that. Um, so one, as far as classes, I don't really do like a lot of coaching one-on-one stuff. I mean, if someone's interested, I'm happy to talk about it, but I don't have like an offer or anything like that. Uh, I do have a improv, a virtual improv class I've been running. Um, so if you go to my website, whatever, you get info on that. Um, but that's a straight improv comedy. So, you know, if people want to learn more improv, they can join my class, uh, which I don't know when this is dropping, but my next one starts April 27th. Okay. But if you really want to kind of do the applied improv thing, well, number one, there's a whole applied improv organization. Right like a Facebook group, uh, I found NSA, the National Speakers Association, incredibly beneficial to me from the business side of things. It helped me really hone my message, my marketing, the teaching aspect, like how I was getting material across to people. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of how I would, I would I'd put together a program. And if you're not comfortable doing that, then I'd go to American Society of Trained Development or NSA or Applied Improv and then just get out there and, and do it. And, you know, you, you don't learn, you'll learn so much more trying and seeing what happens than you will, like having to have everything figured out before you take your first step. 
you know, if I look at my first programs now versus what I'm doing now, it's like, God, that was terrible. How, why did I do that? Well, you did that so you could get to this point. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I like the philosophy, see one, teach one, do one. Yeah, that's a great, mm-hmm. yeah, because I, I like the idea. I think Einstein said it too. Like, if you can't teach something simply, you don't really know it. So, and that's kind of, you know, you, you, you joked about, you know, oh, I can't wait to see you do that so I can steal stuff. Like, that's fine. And people, you know, improv games are not proprietary or trademark. Right, right. So you can you know, take all that. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to go watch someone do a program and then just do that program yourself. Right. Like, oh, Avish exactly. opened with Ding. And then he talked about this point and played that game. And then, so let me do that. And people will do that. And they don't even know they're stealing, you know, or like taking intellectual pride. They just think that, oh, it's okay. This person did it. So I'm going to do it. And, you know, number one, it's not right. And number two, you're trying to be somebody else. And the way you succeed in the speaking business or the performing business is by being yourself. Exactly. So take some time thinking, what's the message you want to get across? And what are the games you want to play with the audience? And then work that into your program. Well, you've been a marvelous guest today. And I'm really glad that I finally got that you went to Penn. Um, (laughs) Oh, thank you. And uh, I'm from the New Jersey area as well. And uh, is it getting getting a little warmer? The buds and flowers starting to come out? It is coming out now. Today we're up to like low 60s finally. So, you know, it's uh, of course yesterday was like 48. So it's it's, it's that weird spring in the Northeast where it's one day is going to be 40. The next day is going to be 70. And we're going to ping pong back and forth. Yeah. Sure. Florida's much warmer. It's a bit warmer. Yeah. It got in the 60s though. So that was uncomfortable. Oh my goodness. You had to put on a sweater. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, The alligators weren't coming out. So it was a terrible time. Oh yeah. You got to get those guys out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope I get to speak with you again soon. Maybe take a workshop with you. It sounds delightful. That would be great. um, I just want to thank you so much. And I urge all of our listeners to go look at the various projects you have and the podcast and everything else and thank you so much avish my pleasure thank you this was great thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on improv interviews with margot escott